So we are going through a series uh, looking at the liturgies of culture. Oh, TJ, is it recording? Yes. Uh, the liturgies of culture. So we're, we, we live in a particular society. Liturgies just mean like the practices, the rituals, the habits we're surrounded by all the time. They literally become the air we breathe. We don't even realize that we're embracing or, or um, through osmosis sort of inheriting a way of living, a set of expectations, a whole value system, right? And so I'm trying to call awareness to it. Like here's a lot of the messaging we get from culture, and then here's where I think the liturgies of the church, the, the Christian gospel would call us, and it's often at odds with culture. Culture is trying to shape me, form me, mold me in one way, my desires, my expectations, my actions. And the gospel saying, I want you to be shaped differently. Today's sermon is in particularly difficult because I recognize that many in the congregation, I'm guessing, will not fully agree. And I want you to know... You're in really good company when you disagree with me. <laughs> Lots of really amazing, wonderful, smart Christian people disagree with me all the time. So that's not rare. I'm not, I don't have all the answers, and I might not even be right. I, I, what I want you to do is to just consider what I'm going to say. The, the word I want to use is consider. Mull it over. Maybe allow yourself to be challenged by it, even if you don't agree. Does that make some sense? You, like the difference? Like I want to be part of a Christian community that says... We don't always have to see eye to eye to grow from each other, to learn from each other, to be challenged from each other. And I know it happens to me all the time. So that's all I'm asking. I'm not, I'm not up here because I have all the answers or because I think I'm right. My attitude is not one of judgment or condemnation for people that disagree, but I am going to issue a challenge, maybe a series of challenges. Okay. So I would argue that we live in a culture that glorifies and glamorizes violence, right? So the U.S. culture in particular, not every culture is like this, but in ours, violence is a huge thing. And you can see this, of course, just watch what's on television. Like, what, what do people watch? It's like a thousand NCISs or Law and Orders or whatever. Almost every movie, it's, you were surrounded by it. Um, it's like part of our history, part of our DNA, part of like, what we value is we solve problems by vanquishing our foes. Like the, the number one sport, I love it, football. It's literally like violently taking land from your opponent. Like I'm going to push my, my team onto your land, into your end zone. That's how I get points. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> it's about violently taking what you want or whatever. So... Um, I'm part of it. I'm part of this culture. I, I, I'm, I love it. In fact, I just watched a movie. This is so funny, right? So uh, I love Bob Odenkirk. Bob Odenkirk's like a, uh, he started out as a comedian for decades. He does comedy. He's, he's a better call Saul, right? Uh, Bob Odenkirk. So he's in a movie, Mr. Nobody. It's basically a fantasy for all middle-aged men which I include myself in this, right? So no longer is the violent hero reserved for Rambo for like 25-year-old muscle-bound, no. Now it's the 50-year-old slighted guy that gets to, gets to like, yes. But it doesn't start this way. You don't realize. He, it's called Mr. Nobody, and it starts out, and you think Bob Odenkirk is this like 50-year-old accountant. His life's boring. He goes to work every day. You can tell him and his wife, like they barely touch or make eye contact. He's just like, whatever. And then there's a break-in. 
in his home. And so he comes down. He's got a golf club. The person's got a gun. Oh, my God. But at one point, it becomes obvious because, like, the family distracts. Like, he can hit this person with the golf club. Like, he can do it. He could, like, overtake the intruder, but he doesn't. He, like, hesitates. And it's like he's a coward or whatever. Like, he, he just can't pull the trigger. So they take money. They leave. Everyone's okay. That's great. But, like, his teenage son who watches it happen is just, that's it. Like, how could you do that, Dad? Like, just disgraced, right? And in my mind, I'm like, teaching moment. What are you talking about? We all lived? They only got stuff? Who cares, right? Like, what, should I really kill someone? In my, right? Oh, no, no, no. That's not. Instead, what we learn is his timidity is because he's actually like a trained CIA operative who's like a lethal weapon all into himself. And when he finally realizes the next day, he sees the, like just the disappointment in his son's face. He's like, I will exact revenge. And like the rest of the movie, he's Rambo. He's like indestructible. And I loved it. <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh, just to feel that powerful one time, just to have the means to like vanquish my foes one time. Yes, right? I'm in no means above this, right? I grew up on, I mean, so there's a quote, uh, which I love. It's a, an ethicist. I believe you have the quote, TJ. It's the next one, I hope. Yeah, Tom Murray. A society rewards, admires, and honors what it values. And you think about like our society honors and admires and values, and you think at the top of the list are folks who uh, train for violence. It's football heroes, or it's people in the military, or yeah, like Patton, or it's Rambo, or it's Mr. Nobody from the show, right? This is who we honor. And, I mean, you think about what does that say about what we value, what we care about? So it's almost like I have to unlearn all that I grew up with, all that I'm supposed to admire and value, right? Like I have to disentangle myself from that at some point. But it's so human, it's so natural to want it, right? I, I, I want to feel safe. I want to feel powerful. Uh, I, this should become as no surprise to you either, right? We're a culture in the United States that loves guns. Just so you know, caveat, I'm not, I'm not against gun ownership. I'm, I don't want to take away the Second Amendment or something. I'm not like opposed to hunting. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a culture of guns, a culture that like this is how we feel safe. This is, how, this is where our, our hope and faith come from. Like this is, this is what's going to protect us. I'm talking about the culture, like when it gets into us, right? So some statistics. These are just recent, right? 19 million guns purchased in the United States in 2021. 23 million in 2020. 14 million in... I mean, I could go on and on. The next slide, though, shows, right? In the United States, civilian-owned guns, 393 million. This is an estimate. 393 million. This accounts for 46% of the entire world's civilian-owned gun population. Half of the civilians that own guns in the world live in the United States. Just so you know that number, 393 million guns, there are only 334 million citizens in the United States. We have more guns than humans. 
that live in the United States. 125 guns for every 100 people. A culture, right, that suggests this is what will protect me. This is where my hope is. This is how I'm safe. I'm going to say this again. What I don't want you to hear me say is, if you have a gun, you're a bad person. I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying. The challenge is, where do I put my hope and faith and safety? Where, do, where does that lie? That's, what I'm, that's the challenge. It's not, about, it's not the fact of whether you own a gun or not. That's not the issue, right? People own guns. They're trained. They want to hunt. They do things. Okay. But I would argue at some point, this is uh, what we rely upon. This is what we value. This is what we think is important. But if we contrast this with the gospel, we get two diverging narratives, and I don't know how to be faithful to both. This is the challenge, right? So we read the story of Jesus. Now, what's, what, what you don't hear, Jesus earlier is like, go get a sword, so he tells his disciples, if you don't have a sword, go buy one. And this is very strange. I'm not sure how, what to make sense of it because then when Peter uses it at the appropriate time, Jesus condemns him. He's like, put it away. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. And he heals the dude's ear, right? So you have this person, Jesus, who is innocent. You have a disciple protecting an innocent person who should not be arrested, who should not be executed. That you can't get a more innocent person than Jesus. And even then, Jesus is like, You're not, don't defend me like that. Put away the sword. We get passages like this one in Matthew, right? About loving one's enemy. So Jesus will say, you've heard it said, you must love your neighbor. This is the Old Testament law. I tell you, love your enemies, right? Pray for those who harass you so that you will be acting as children of your Father who is in heaven. We'll skip the others. It's okay. So I'm trying to piece this together. Jesus loves his enemies, heals the person who's going to take him to his death unjustly. He rebukes Peter or whichever disciple is trying to defend him. He calls us to love our enemies. The early church, those Christians that followed Jesus so diligently were nonviolent. They were persecuted by Rome, many of them martyred, but they didn't mount violent resistance. So I get this narrative that says we should train to vanquish our enemies, and I get this narrative from Jesus that says we're supposed to train so that we can love our enemies. And I don't know how to train myself to kill my enemies while at the same time preparing my heart to love my enemies. I don't know how to do both. So I, I'm torn. The world is a dangerous place. The world is a violent place. The world is filled with people that might wish you or I harm. There's no doubt about it. That's, that, no one debates that. The question is, what's our response as Christians? So here's, here's what I'm going to suggest. Here's my challenge. I suggest that right now the Christian call is as a community, we live into the kingdom of God. We become representatives for God's kingdom right now, the best we can, as imperfectly as we can, to love, care for, provide justice for those we come in contact with. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. But God's kingdom 
is not violent. So God's kingdom is defined by, it's the place where the lion and the lamb lay down together. It's defined as the place where swords are turned into plowshares. It's defined as the place of peace. So if we're representatives of that kingdom, as Jesus was, Jesus is like the ambassador for the kingdom and we're representatives of that kingdom, then it seems to me that we have to be preparing and training to love even our enemies. That what we're preparing for is our own sacrifice. We're preparing for our own death. We're not preparing for defense. We're not preparing for violence. Do you see the difference? And I'm not talking about one-time actions. Like, I don't know what I would do if someone was in my home. I don't, I, I'm sure I would protect my family. I'm talking about what do we train for? What do we prepare for? What do we sh- how are our hearts being shaped? Because I know how culture is shaping it. There's a, there's a picture here of a, of a statue. It's of a sword being turned into a plowshare. It's a beautiful sculpture. I love this. Like, I'd love to get this image in the church. Like, you're turning a sword into a plowshare. I love that. And you know what else I love? Because some of you are going to resonate with this. Benjamin Franklin's quote. Those who beat their swords into plowshares usually end up plowing for those who kept their swords. (laughs) Curse you, Benjamin Franklin! (laughs) There's some truth to this. This is real. This is history. The world is a violent place. There are people that wish us harm. There's no free lunch in this. There's no easy escape route. There's no parachute you can pull and get out of it. I'm suggesting that the call of Christ is the call to be martyred. The call of Christ is to, and I'll, and I'll say it more generally that might help you. Instead of a posture of defensiveness, a posture of being closed, a posture of fear, a posture of I have to protect my family, any means necessary. I have to protect my country, any means necessary. Instead of that posture, I'm suggesting a posture of vulnerability, openness to even my enemy, a posture of love, a posture of the Eucharist where we're broken and poured out for the world. And to do that requires me to do so much preparation and training that I can't prepare for violence. I've got to be preparing myself for the cross. That's how love breaks into the world. That's how redemption and salvation break into the world. That's how we become citizens of the kingdom of God, Hmm. is the radical call, even in the midst of a world like the one we live in, we're okay with the danger. We're okay being the ones taken advantage of. We're okay being the ones to lay our lives down, just like Jesus And if we can shift our posture, I think it has lots of, because many of you in the crowd are like, Joe, yeah, great. I'm not violent. When am I I ever going to have the chance to be violent? I get that. I feel similar. But the attitude and the posture has a million ways it shows up in our lives. Like, my posture of being closed, defensive, protective, and afraid affects my relationship with my wife and my kids and my students and my neighborhood. It's the posture, I would argue, that says, interfaith, we don't want you here. Mm. It's, we're we're going to protect what's ours, my property value, my safety. I want to I build a, a boundary here. You, you need to go somewhere else. It's that posture rather than saying, yeah, it will cost me something. Yep, 
It's gonna, it probably it might hurt. It's going it's to create some sacrifice. It's going to mean uh, having a posture of vulnerability, broken and poured out for the world. Do you see the difference? What are we training for? What are we preparing for? To live forever? To protect my life, my family, my country at all costs? Or are we preparing for the kingdom? Where the lion and the lamb will lay down together at once, finally, in peace. Let's pray. Lord, my prayer is that you would challenge us today and that you would inspire us to participate and engage in practices that shape us into your son, that shape us into the likeness of Christ. Give us wisdom and courage as we attempt to do that, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would please stand for the closing song. Thank you.